Hey everybody, welcome to the Relax and Enjoy Health podcast. I'm Andrew French and I'm your optimal health, well-being and balance coach. This is episode number 11 where I'm talking to master's educated naturopath Louise Westra. Louise has spent 20 years working with women's health and in particular through gut and vaginal biomes. Yes, I said gut. Creating increased energy and resilience. Let's get into the interview and find out what she's got for us today. We are here with Louise Wester of Health Mastery. All right, and Louise wow. and I were just about to start on a on a massive thing about stereotyping people and getting stuck with the labels. So I've just pressed record. We're in the middle of a conversation. I don't know where we're going. We're just going to start. Louise, tell us who you are and what you do. Oh, thank you, Andrew. So uh, for those people that don't know me, uh, my name is Louise Westra, as Andrew mentioned, and my work is predominantly with women. That's just how it's kind of worked out. Although I do work with lots of uh, men folk as well. And it's really around ensuring that those humans I'm working with are not paying a price with their health for the success and achievements that they are gathering through the course of their lifetime. And then because, and I'm sure we'll get into this, because of the way that society is constructed and because of the way that most people think about health, it's really the starting point is ill health when people come to me. They know that they are unwell. But my greatest joy, Andrew, is really having the opportunity to once we've solved or radically improved somebody's experience in their body and the physicality of their experience to then work on building what I call their biological bandwidth so that they get to become really the full expression of their biological activity in the most gloriously positive of ways. Wow. <laughs> is that the best introduction ever okay so i mean you look at it i was just looking i was looking through the notes i've gone i've gone through your facebook i'm absolutely terrified by your facebook page i mean within two seconds we oh my goodness we covered chinese lead levels in clothing we covered sofas and all the chemicals we're talking about off gas of all the all the all that type of stuff. There's poo, there's vaginas, there's <laughs> sugar. There's, it's like a plethora, a conglomeration of health, ill health. And it's just like, please tell me, how is someone going to get started? Because you said people come to you with ill health. And the biggest thing that I've found is people know they're overweight. People know they're not well. And that's pretty much in their eyes, it's because they're fat. Or in their eyes, it's because they work too much and they're stressed. In their eyes, they're in a bad relationship. But ill health 
it all comes from so many different things. You know, they could be overweight because of, you know, the the biological contaminants that's surrounding them on a daily basis. They could be overweight from just stress from work. They can be overweight for being in a bad relationship. They can be unwell because of every single thing. So where do you start? Yeah, that's so true. And I think one of the massive challenges we have in this kind of age of information is that there is so much information and yet at the same time, people are not taking that information and putting it into action in a way that is appropriate for them. So you've got the nuance and, and one of my one of my go-to phrases is it depends because the reality is that exactly what you're saying, if somebody is unhappy in their body, they know that they are carrying too much mass, it is uncomfortable, it is having a knock-on effect to their biological health, to their energy levels, you know, they are pre-diabetic and so on and so forth. We've got to go below the label of obesity and actually start to unpick the root causes in a general sense, but more importantly, in that scenario with a one-to-one client, in a way that is meaningful for them and their relationship and their story. And it's so so the answer is it depends. I guess that's the short answer. Depends. Um, because also, yeah, you so rightly say, we and, and I've done as as you've seen because you've looked at my Facebook page latterly is that I've been really drilling down on um, the sugar side of things. I don't ever want to demonize sugar. But again, we've lost sight of the fact that a small amount of sugar in a chocolate bar, or uh, a cake that we've made, or we know what's in it, because we know the person that made it, that those things are actually meaningless, by which I mean, that they are meaningless in the sense that they have an adverse effect on our health outcomes, as long as they are part of an overwhelmingly, you know, um, diverse, mainly natural diet. Whereas what I see time and time again, is this oscillation by humans between the all what I call the all or nothing, whereby they are you know, it's about clean eating and going fully keto or paleo or whatever the, you know, the fad of the day is, whatever their best friends told them that is working for them without understanding that within their own biological bandwidth, within their own capacity at that time, they are going to be white knuckling it and amplifying their stress hormones. So even if they manage to do it for a number of weeks or a number of one a months, there will be a cost to be paid at the end of that, which sends them rebounding back. And whether it's six months, a year or two years down the track, they will ultimately be back at the beginning. And because that cycle is often something that happens over one or two years, it isn't always easy for a human that's in it to A, recognize it, and B, extract themselves from it without an advocate to them, for them, which is, again, one of the ways that I describe myself is 
I am consistently alongside my clients talking to them about, well, listen, is that the right choice for you right now? Maybe we need to think about, you know, really building that bandwidth in a passive but really impactful way whilst, you know, not getting overly focused on something that is a popular choice that, you know, Aunt Flo's told you's worked for her. Exactly. So people going into it without a plan. But like you said, like just like getting off the sugar, that could be a two two year rebound. Is that what you're saying there in regards to that? Yeah. So, 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 yeah. so one of the things I see all the time is and I saw this again yesterday on social media and, and I shouldn't blame Aunt Flo because actually mainly these days it's to do with what people are seeing on places like Instagram, because again, humans have this perception that if somebody is important enough on Instagram to have X number of followers, they are therefore some kind of authority when that is often not the case at all. And of course, vested interest is, is in there. So of course. going back to what you were saying though about sugar, I saw this yesterday, someone uh, that I know online talking about how they've never been to the gym in their life before. It's the busiest time they've ever had in their life from a business perspective. And they've decided that they are going to um, go to the gym four times a week and uh, start following this particular process around health and fitness from a book that they've bought. Now, I am all about people realizing the potential of their biology on you know, every possible and, and how that shows up in every possible level. I'm all about building strength. I do not believe in the idea that as we age chronologically, we therefore become weaker. I am stronger at the end of my 40s than I was at the end of my 30s. Uh -huh. But let's get real. Like, uh, are we allowed to swear? Oh, fuck it. Go for it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you know, I lived in Australia for 14 years, right? So, you know, I... Oh, I, mate, I'm, yeah, come yeah, you'll be right. <laughs> Go for it, love. Exactly. Um, so the, the reality is that whilst this individual may well be able to sustain that for a period of time, if it is not part of their habitual behaviours, and if, as I strongly suspect... They, because I have a little bit of an idea of what else is going on in their life. Mm -hmm. They are not, they are probably not going to be able to maintain significant changes in behavior because that requires a, a, a very large amount of biological activity, of adaptation to be able to make those changes happen, and then to be able to sustain them. So what I see time and time again, is people embarking on these, this idea that, you know, health needs to be something that we, we adhere to in a dramatic, really impactful way. Um, but it, it, they can't actually maintain it, because what they needed to do was start with something much smaller, build it into their life, Exactly. And then build upon that, right? And, and yeah, this is it's one non -exercise of non-exercise activity. Right? It's one of my great frustrations. How can you expect 
to go from never really exercising, certainly not in a gym situation, mm-hmm. to suddenly being there four times a week when you have a young family, when you are running multiple businesses, when you are managing a house renovation, and you already are telling people at times that you're very, very tired. Like, it's well, fucked up. The way that it, people it, start exactly. their whole journey, it's I mean, we're looking up. at the cortisol level work, for starters. Right? And then know? they say, oh, this being healthy, it's too hard. No, it's it's not too hard. So number one, you haven't dealt with your cortisol levels. So you're at your maximum fat gaining capacity. You're at your minimum sleep ability. So you're not going to be rested. You're not going to recuperate. You're going to be sore all the time. You're going to be grumpy. It's going to reduce your capacity in every other area. And and this is just what I'm seeing from the outside. So, you know, I don't even know what's going to going through your mind, you know, as a naturopath of, you know, 20 plus years. You know, so that's, yes, he's destined for failure. It, it is, and it, it's sad, you know. It's really sad. I actually was talking to a dear friend of mine uh, this morning who's a very, very well-qualified, highly experienced um, psychotherapist, uh, like uh, trauma specialist, proper trauma specialist. And, um, you know, I actually had a little cry with her because I said I'd been seeing recently online you know, I, I speak to so many women who are really struggling with their relationship with food. It's one of the things that often they don't come mm-hmm. to me for that, but it's part of the bigger picture and and, and it, it's part of what we do over a longer period of time. And it makes me really sad because I see, again, women online that I know um, perhaps have fleetingly been my client or talk openly about their own challenges with, you know, um, food and so on. And then you see them with their children, with their grandchildren, perpetuating exactly the same cycle. And everyone in the comments laughing about, oh, isn't that a huge bowl of ice cream? And oh, he's going to have you up later, isn't he? With all that coloring and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, it, it literally... I, I do have to sometimes take a step back because I don't want to say it breaks my heart because obviously that's a self-perpetuating thing to say. But you know, it's so, it's so, it's so sad and it's so unnecessary. Why, you know, it, it, it's just spending all this energy unpacking that ourselves, but not then continuing to unpack it with the generations that are behind us so that they don't have to go through the same fucking cycle, wasting their precious time and energy because, you know, you've just taught them the same things and then laughed about it as if it's harmless when it's not. Well, no, it's not harmless. I mean, these things change people's lives. I mean, okay, so when I I was personal training like uh, 10 years ago, so we're looking at my clients, the women were full-on busy. They're full-on busy women. They got full-time jobs. They come home. They're dealing with the children. You know, they're getting the children's homework done. They're getting the chores done around the house. They're making dinner. They're making sure everyone's fed. The husband gets home, immediately goes to sit down because he's had a big day. And, uh, you know, so she's stuck. She's getting dinner ready. Everyone eats. Then she has to get the kids to clean up. She has to go through the fights of making them clean up. She's got to make sure that they're getting ready for bed. Meanwhile, she's calling out to him and he's just like, what? Oh, yeah. And so it's no help there whatsoever. And 
I used to call it, you know, uh, they've got this little Tim Tam size hole inside them, which, you know, so they fill it up with a Tim Tam biscuit, which is like a little internal mm. hug. And, you know, it makes them feel better yeah. momentarily. And uh, so then they come, come up to nine o'clock at night. The kids are finally in bed. She's finally sitting down. He's asleep on the couch and he's like, you know, hands her the remote control when he wakes up. Here you go, love. Yeah, you watch your show. And so that's the only, you know, that that's the only time she actually gets to sit down. And then, you know, half an hour later, he's like, oh, let's go to bed, you know, and they go to bed. And then all of a sudden he wants to go tap, 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 hey, babe. And it's just uh, so, you know, the, the it's, you know, and we were talking about stereotypes, but this was almost every female client of mine that was age 40s and 50s. And all of a sudden they just got to the point where they wanted to be the girl they used to be. They wanted to be the woman they used to be. They wanted to be, you know, where... They lost their identity because they were the mother, they were the wife, the spouse, and uh, they had lost who they were. They wanted someone to look at them for who they are and open a door for them. They wanted, you know, they wanted to feel like their own person again. And, you know, and that's coming to me for exercise was the bare minimum of it. I mean, there were days they'd rock up. You'd take one look at them and you say, okay, Cheryl, we're just going to turn this light off and we're going to go for a walk, love, because, yeah. And then next minute, you know, she's pouring out her heart and soul on the walk around the block because all of a sudden you're trusted, you've got nothing to do with their life, they can talk to you and they can walk away knowing that, you know, they are lighter. You know, and, you know, we're, we're talking about those stereotypes, but they're stereotypes for a reason, I guess. Yeah, and actually, Andrew, I mean, it's obviously no surprise to me, having worked in this space predominantly with women for 20 years, that that's, that was and still is, unfortunately, a very uh, real experience for so many women. And I don't know if you saw when you were having a bit of a scout around, but that's one of the reasons that last year I wrote my book, and my book is called You First. Yeah. And that's, again, one of the reasons that I call myself an advocate for women to women, because I still don't believe within most of the Western, certainly Western society, and that is my you know, main experience uh, of growing up in the UK and then living in Oz for, for 14 years, is that women are still kind of condition to need to have all the balls in the air. And women perpetuate the problem by referring to each other as superwoman. And when a woman does crash and burn, you know, she's uh, invited to pull herself up almost by the bootstrap still, which actually I found out yesterday is a term that was used to refer to something that was impossible. Exactly. Pulling yourself right? up over the fence by your bootstraps. Right. Which, yeah, which again, it's lost. It's like the similar um, or it's not similar, but the phrase um, uh, feed a cold, um, feed a cold, starve a fever, which is actually if you feed a cold, you will have to starve a fever. So, you know, the thing is that these these meanings lose their sense over time. So it's very important that we we keep checking back to the original source for these things. But my point being that what happens is. A woman does collapse in a heap, and that's usually often the only time that, you know, 
Certain people in her life may notice that she finally needs some help. She picks herself back up and then, you know, she looks around and the majority of the women in her life are kind of cheering her on and saying, yeah, come on, love. That's it. Be more resilient. It's not how many times you fall down. It's how many times you pick yourself back up again. I'm like, that's fucking endurance. That's not resilience. That was something else we've got to discuss. Building true resilience. Yes. Right. So um, it just, you know, and, and so it goes on. And as I say, it's really important to me that when I'm working with clients that I am giving them the opportunity once they've got the space to do so and they've got the capacity, they've got that biological bandwidth to really think about the ways that they may may be perpetuating the cycle so that they're not then unconsciously, because it is mainly unconscious, they're not unconsciously doing it with the next their next generation with their own children. Um, and that's how I parent, and it's fucking hard work. <laughs> um, that's for sure. But uh, even actually this morning, my husband and I were having a conversation around, you know, uh, what's going on with our eldest, and I was like, I don't think what you're saying, I understand where you're coming from, but, and that conversation may need to be had, but now is not the time and place because this whole idea of get up, get to school, you know, we've got to start, and, and whether it's school or work or whatever, we've got to start digging a little bit deeper, but underneath, and we, we, this is obviously where we started, underneath these labels of, well, for instance, I feel anxious today. Okay, let's not stop there and go, well, I'm anxious. Well, you know, it's normal in my family. Everyone's a worrier. So therefore, I'll normalize it and I'll just keep going. Let's have a think about, well, what is creating that biologically? What's creating that anxiety? So a lot of my work is looking at uh, genomics, um, looking at things like the microbiome, as you know, the, the connection between the second brain of the gut and um, what goes on cognitively, emotionally, and so on for us. And also looking at what's happening in our blueprint when it comes to anxiety around our neurotransmitters. So for instance, do we have a higher sensitivity to adrenaline, for instance? Do we have an inability to really convert, um, for those of you that know, glutamate, um, into which is a, an excitatory neurotransmitter into GABA, which is our calming. And if we have that higher sensitivity of adrenaline, and if we have a bit of a glitch and an you know less ability to uh, move from an an excitatory neurotransmitter into a calming neurotransmitter, then we are likely to have a more heightened experience, which then has been labelled anxiety. But if we can learn about what specific nutrients we then need to really pay attention to, if we can also enhance the function of our gut to make sure we are producing more serotonin within the intestinal tract, because that is where the majority of it is made, then lo and behold, we'll be in a position whereby we have less of our biological bandwidth being taken up by the experience of anxiety as our default setting. And then we have more choice in the way that we get to live out our life. 
Okay, now you've said biological bandwidth about a million times. Please explain that for me so that, you know, other people are going to understand. Yeah, so for me, our biological, what creates our biological bandwidth? So our biological bandwidth is our capacity. So I think the first thing for people listening to understand is that the way that we feel, the way that we think, the choices we make, the ways that we behave are not solely driven by what goes on up here. A lot of the way that we think, feel and behave is driven by what's going on in our biology throughout all the systems of our body. Therefore, the better those systems are functioning, the better we feel And when a challenge arises, the more capacity, the more bandwidth we have to cope with that rather than it kind of chipping away at us until we get to a point where we are, you know, on the floor with a mental health disorder or diagnosed with a, um, you know, medical condition. Because, again, what people don't realize is that being diagnosed with a medical condition means that things have been going awry in your biology for many, many, many years in the vast majority of cases. So if we can learn more about what has the capacity to go awry in our biology, and if we can keep tipping the scales towards that biology working better and better and better in our organ systems, then we have more bandwidth. And more bandwidth means more energy, whether that energy is emotional energy, whether that is physical energy, or whether that is, you know, um, emotional and mental uh, energy for the challenges of living, parenting, being in the world with other humans. No, exactly. No, I I I love this. So I've done... Um, my wife's been studying acupuncture and as a result, so I sort of study alongside alongside her and I and I chose Qigong and, and Chinese five element theory and everything. And the whole thing about Qigong is, you know, being able to move qi and energy through your body. And And the whole thing is it's not just energy. You're looking at ultimately like, like you just exactly like you're saying, all our emotions and everything we feel and everything we think and everything we're experiencing in our body is just a bunch of protein, carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals. So anger, I, I just love the way anger is located in the liver and the liver is where we, we process all toxins and everything like that. You're looking at, at uh, sorrow and everything. It's in, in our lungs and our ability to breathe and our ability to get rid of carbon dioxide. So all these different processes and like doing that Qigong exercise and everything, literally wringing out your organs to force it, force all those toxins into the body to be utilized, to be able to be processed by the body, the excretory functions and everything. And that's just the physical aspect of it. It's got nothing to do with the energy or the woo-woo or the spiritual. But like you're saying, you're increasing your bandwidth or you're increasing your capacity to deal with all the other things in your life. And 
and I love something that I've always said is like mental health really is our capacity to deal with what life throws at us. So, you know, it we have all these, everyone, I, I, sh I did a talk one time and I had all these different containers. I had jugs and I had boxes and I had, and I was pouring water into all of them. And you've got a cup, which is full in two seconds. You've got a jug, which takes quite a lot of water. You've got a bucket, which takes even more water again. But if you take the water as, okay, this is your 12-year-old son giving you a hard time. This is your husband, you know, not putting his underpants in the clothes hamper. This is the bill that comes in. This is, and all of a sudden this water is, it's now overflowing onto the floor, you know. However, this bucket here has just got heaps more room, you know, and the bandwidth is increased on those, on those items. So they have more energy to deal with all those, oh, the, all the requests that life's giving it, I guess. Yeah. And exactly that. And and going back to what you were saying about, you know, previously with your, your female um, clients, for me, what, what happens is that, you know, unless or until we consciously know that we're building that bandwidth, everything comes at a cost. And it comes at a cost that we feel, that we feel chipping away at us. And the problem, one of the big problems we've got within the Western um paradigm of health is that actually it's nothing to do with health it's all built around sickness um as i know you're you're fully aware um so what happens is that unless or until there's something so seriously wrong with you what tends to happen is you're offered an antidepressant right which is just, uh, I mean, the number of women that come to me and say, my GP isn't listening, he or she just offered me an antidepressant. With um, no plan, no goal right, to get offered. Right. No, Not even nothing. knowing if serotonin yep. is an issue in that person's biology. I mean, it should be illegal, really, to, to be <laughs> medicating. And this is the problem. The medicalization of mental health is a huge, and this is slightly a tangent, but it's a huge fucking problem because since the 80s here in the UK, and you can, we could, I can go off on a tangent about new capitalism, but it's probably for another day. Um, but if you look at the rise in prescriptions of uh, psychiatric medications, such as the SSRIs, the, the, mm -hmm. the most popular prescribed antidepressant, and I know it's a big issue in Oz because remember, I lived there for 14 years that those levels have been rising since 19, the 1980s, since new capitalism really was brought into um, government. But mental health outcomes are, have been worsening ever since. Mm -hmm. but, but again, we've got this black and white framework that most people have never thought beyond. You, you, you know, you've talked about five elements and whatnot within the, um, the uh, Chinese um uh tradition but within the 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 australian and the uk general population they don't have unless they've grown up you know in uh maybe uh nimbin <laughs> or <laughs> somewhere you know um up on the east coast um towards byron they probably haven't grown up with this idea of there is a different way 
of thinking about health. And that was one of the things that really struck me coming from the UK and and ending up ultimately in Oz. That's where I did my naturopathic training because I was finding like, here's a different way of thinking about health. I don't have to wait until I'm sick and need some kind of medical intervention. I can actually start with the idea. And at that time, I had a number of health conditions, including really severe IBS. I don't have to just sit with this label of IBS and I've been told I have to live with it. There is another system of medicine, another paradigm that says, let's take that label and let's unpack it. I invite you to learn more about what is happening in your biology, what is happening in your gut and what is the knock-on effect of that to the rest of your body and how is that then draining your bandwidth and leaving you at 20 odd years of age, feeling like you can't actually get off of your sofa yeah. in between the time you have to go and study or work and you can barely even lift your doona or duvet for the UK peeps, um, you know, lift up without feeling like, you know, it's a Herculean task. Exactly. And the doctor doesn't understand it. I mean, I doubt a doctor knows what a lectin is, you know, so (laughs) that's insane. And actually, you know what? I think in reality, that would be okay if the allopathic doctors knew their place, right? So if they knew, if they were at the tail end of the conversation, so if a If we had a a system, I mean, this is obviously Nirvana to some degree. If we had a system where people's first port of call was a naturopath or a naturopath working alongside a doctor or a truly integrative, you know, medic, then the first conversation would be about, right, well, I need to see a food journal. Right, well, let's test your microbiome. Let's see what your secretory IgA is doing so that we know what the conversation is or isn't at the lining of your gut that is driving your immune system to send out inflammatory signaling all around your body and leading before we refer you to a rheumatologist that puts you on a drug that after several years will actually cause more problems in your body than it ever did to rectify the situation in the first place. How about we just get medicine back to what it's supposed to be for the last 5,000 years rather than the last 200 years? You know, yeah, but how then about... there wouldn't be any money. There wouldn't be any money, okay. Andrew. Let food be your medicine. How... Let's just start there. All right, so let's go. Talk to me. The word genomics, what does that entail? What does that mean? Sure. So um, it's really looking at your genetic blueprint whilst also understanding the influence of that blueprint or the influences I should say on that blueprint so again within the majority of the western mindset there's this idea that if you have a genetic problem it is a done deal nothing else to be done and that's because sadly There are, you know, children born, infants born every year that do have congenital illnesses that are often associated with a significant genetic issue. 
And those issues are often life uh, altering and or life shortening. And then the other main place that people hear about genetics is in relation to breast cancer. So the BRAC, you know, the BRAC one and two. Um, but what again is completely ignored is that in the vast majority of cases, our genetic blueprint is really a map. And it's up to us to take that map with us on a journey. And depending on where we go on that journey and the influences that we come across in our environment, so the influences of food, the influences of you know, uh, chemicals that we perhaps come into contact with, um, the people around us and their varying levels of toxicity, um, stress, the jobs that we choose, whether we choose a job that will keep us up all night and dramatically disrupt our circadian health, for instance, all those things through the course of a lifetime will exert their influence on our genetic blueprint. And that's really what genomics is. So it's using our genetic blueprint to really empower people to learn more, to again ensure that they are aware about where their particular glitches are. But it's those glitches over time and the combination of those glitches, multiple glitches, that have the ability to perhaps cause disease over the course of a lifetime rather than one single thing and then, you know, everything else really is almost dismissed. So to, to use the example that you uh, brought up earlier around the idea of chemical exposure, yes, it's absolutely imperative that we continue to, I mean, it's ridiculous that we've got to do this, but we have, to fight with our governments to bring in more regulation to basically hold big corporations accountable for polluting um, the environment, usually in vulnerable populations that yeah. are far away from the customers that buy those clothes. But at the same time, making well, understanding that the example that I used, which was an excess level of lead that would have been in a dye for a leather jacket, that actually every day of your life, you are coming into contact with chemicals that have the potential to harm you, again, usually over time, insidiously mm -hmm. over time, because of your own genomic vulnerabilities, if you like. So what I mean by that is that when it comes to the liver, there are different detoxification pathways. If you have one typo or glitch in one of those detoxification pathways, it may not be an issue at all. However, what you would be well, what I think you, you know, people would be well, um, uh, what, what they should do ideally is to find out what the potential implications of having a glitch in that detoxification pathway means. Because it could be that certain chemicals in their particular body are not detoxified appropriately, and that will then leave them having more influence, exerting more inflammation, potential for inflammation in their body. And also if they have, which I had very recently with a client, 
almost all the detoxification pathways are struggling, in inverted commas, to some degree, to deal with this body burden that is, you know, something like 50,000 more chemicals now in our environment on a, on a day-to-day basis compared to two generations ago. Mm. So my grandparents, post-World War II, right? So when a doctor says, oh, but your liver is perfectly capable of detoxifying itself, that I call BS on that now, because mainly two, maybe two generations ago, that was true. But these days, we've got chemicals coming off our, you know, sofas, um, because our governments have decided that we need to have anti-inflammatory chemicals on them. Now, I wonder, this is the cynic in me, or the skeptic, I wonder who has been barracking in government for those chemicals to go into you know, those sofas. Yeah, but the thing that got me was the, just something you don't even think of. Over time, those chemicals break down and are released as dust into our environment, which means exactly. we're breathing it in, we're treading it everywhere, we're eating it, and, yeah, we're just absorbing this you, stuff through our skin. Infants, you think about an infant who is cruel or a toddler and they're down at the floor level, mm. breathing that in from the floor... And and nobody's really talking about it. And the reason they're not talking about it, Andrew, or one of the reasons, is because in the mainstream, uh, again, the the you know the accepted medical uh, paradigm, the idea of uh, what is toxic and the uh, the approach to toxicology is still very very is dated. So the idea is still very much that unless something, unless you ingest something and it makes you acutely ill. It is not a problem. They do not understand this idea of body burden accumulating over a lifetime, and nor are they in a position to, they tend to not, you know, to still be a bit black and white with the genetic side of things. Dare we say the levels would be sort of have a dollar value against it in regards to government? I think, again, people don't realise that the vast majority of um companies that uh, are making these products so a lot of the chemicals are um well yeah i mean let let's put let's just put it this way it is not good business to have people in experiencing the full potential of health because they no. don't buy drugs it means governments don't need to buy as many drugs or people don't need to pay for prescriptions. So it is it is actually um, against the capitalist and certainly the new capitalist way of doing things um, for people to be well. Yep. And you know, the, good, the good news for industry, for ph- the pharmaceutical industry, is that the more drugs somebody ingests, the more drugs they tend to ingest because as the biological bandwidth decreases, and I'm not saying, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me, I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for medication. Oh, 100%. Right? Everyone, I'm sure, I know myself probably, you, everyone watching will have had some situation where I've had times in my life where I've been uh, absolutely grateful for the intervention of the medical system and the medical personnel that intervenes in acute care situation but that's where the system excels 
One hundred percent. When you have an acute care situation, those guys are the ones I want on my team because they are one hundred percent. They're going to keep you alive. They're going to operate on you to make you better. They're going to fix what's going on right now. However, it seems in chronic care situations, they don't necessarily have your best interest at heart. Uh, well, the, the trouble is that it's all fed down from, you know, it's a situation where, let's face it, your busy GP on a day-to-day basis is flat out, right? Yeah. So they are relying on organisations like in Australia, the TGA, here in the UK, the MHRA, so the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Authority, to tell them that the things that they are prescribing and that within their framework should be prescribed exactly. for somebody presenting with a certain group of symptoms, that those things are safe. But, and I, I had a, I had a rant about this the other day, actually, um, on Facebook, I'm sure. The, these organizations are a revolving door for the pharmaceutical industry. So you will exactly. not usually find a member of the MHRA, the TGA in Oz, or the FDA in America who hasn't been involved in the um, in pharmaceutical industry in some way, shape or form. And that means uh, to give an example, a recent example, and I appreciate some people, it, it may be a contentious one, but I, I just think, you know, I have to be contentious for people to really, you know, be aware of these things, is that here in the UK, over the last 12 months, at least 12 months, um, a woman called Dr. Tess Lowry has written to our MHRA twice on two occasions, asking them to desist from um, the rollout of the COVID jabs in the um, in the younger populations. So um, yeah. the under fives here, it's not recommended, but I think it's the uh, above fives to eleven and and up until you know sixteen, whatever. The outcomes for those age groups are actually um, horrific when it comes to the COVID jabs. Um, and, and that, as I say, it shouldn't be contentious because it's there in the literature, right? It's there in the evidence base. Yeah, you can find it. The, U- the UK government's actually been pretty good with uh, um, publishing that stuff, that information. I can actually get UK stuff more readily than I can get Australian stuff. Yeah. However, the problem is, so Tess Lowry owns, I don't know the name of the company, but she owns a global research company who provide data. So rather than the British government or the Australian government or the World Health Organization having to trawl through it themselves, they employ Tess's um, uh, company, and she's not the only company out there, but they employ her team, her and her team to go through the data and to tell them what they need. So she, again, is you know, like there's nobody better qualified to do this work. So she and her team have done that. They've uh, shown without, you know, question that the the outcomes are terrible for uh, adverse uh, effects versus any positive outcome for that age group. And she's been ignored. Yeah, 100% like la la not listening. I mean, what other conclusion is there other than because the MHRA has been, and it's funded, it's funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, So Mm -hmm. what other conclusion can you possibly come to? And again, it's not, 
It's important people know this stuff. It doesn't mean that you can't take a medication when you need it, but just understanding how the system and the structure actually works so that you can make more informed choices and understand that, you know, there is a narrative around every aspect of our health that feeds a new capitalist agenda which means making as much money as possible off the medicalization of ill health. All right. We've got so many tangents we can go down. We haven't even talked about the microbiome, really. No, it's digestive health and the microbiome. We've got it right here. So we just, and that was just me asking you about genomics. Okay, so using a combination of traditional and genomic approaches. So what would you call a traditional approach then? Well, the, the uh, um, uh, I guess the, sorry, say that, say that again. Okay, so we were so going through when when I first asked you to be on be on creating increased energy levels, building true resilience using a combination of traditional and genomic approaches. So now we've got an idea of genomic approaches. What would a traditional approach approach be? Is the naturopathic is the naturopathic approach? I tell you what, you're going to be leashed in like a rotwheeler. You do. Um, so it that is really the naturopathic side of things, which I consider to be more of an art form. So I really love the the opportunity that I have with clients, Andrew, to give them the chance to tell their story. Because in the naturopathic way of working with people, it's really about the details of that story. So the way that they talk about how they feel. The, the way they talk about the the way that they think, their, you know, their, their moods, the way that they talk about the choices that they're making, often despite knowing that that's not the choice they want to make, mm-hmm. it's those details as a naturopath that give me the information about the systems of the body that are needing more support, more nourishing, um, and so on. And, and then... Should they want to, it depends really on a variety of factors, but should they want to then invest in the testing side of things, that can be sometimes the genomic side of things and or it can be related uh, predominantly for me to the microbiological side of things. And as you know, because I work predominantly with women, I look at uh, not just the gut microbiome, but often we're looking at the vaginal microbiome as well because so many women do have problems um, with things like chronic unrelenting thrush and... um, and, Because of the imbalance of lactobacillus. You got it. You got it. So you already know. You know the answer. (laughs) You know the answer. And I didn't even say vagina. (laughs) The difference between the gut and the vagina when it comes to the microbiomes is that in the gut, you want as much diversity as possible, mm-hmm. whereas in the vagina, you want really as little living and, you know, taking advantage and having its own uh, party. Yeah, so I love that speak. post. That was awesome. <laughs> 
All right, everyone, check um, out Louise Westra, Health Mastery. Go through her Facebook page. Honestly, it's worth a, it's worth the read. All right, so digestive health and the microbiome. I love the fact that they call the gut the second brain. Are you with us? Are you okay? All right. So yeah, yeah, I just love, like, all right. So when working with the qigong and everything like that, they uh, the they the qi is stored in the lower abdomen, and I just love the fact that the gut as the second brain to the to the fact that it can be totally correlated, you know, through the vagus nerve all the way through to the, the actual brain. And I just love the way that they can take a sample of your gut and let you know whether you're going to have Parkinson's just because it's I, it's just fascinating. I just find the whole thing absolutely fascinating. So, all right, so how are people going to get good digestive health? Well... Uh, well, it depends. It depends. <laughs> uh, it depends on where they are starting. Okay, it, let's it start. It really from, does because we started this out with sugar. So how more... about we've got someone with a high sugar diet? So how are they going to get a better digestive thing? Because one thing I've read recently is the fact that if you have a high sugar diet, you're going to have bacteria that thrive in a high sugar environment. They're going to want more sugar. They're going to tell you to have more sugar. And if you all of a sudden like the gentleman who's going to start going to the gym four days a week, he's going to start eating greens and he's going to start eating protein. You don't have the gut flora for that and you're going to feel quite poorly. Yeah, that's so true. And and this is why, again, um, it's so important to really start. This is why I say it depends. I know it's annoying, but it really does. Because if somebody fronts up, and they're like, I want to cut down, I want to cut sugar right out of my diet immediately. And I'm going to go all in with, you know, greens morning, noon and night, as you so rightly say, all of a sudden, they're probably going to find themselves digestively quite uncomfortable. Because it takes time for the internal ecosystem to really adjust. So <clears throat> I know some people advocate time? for a complete sugar Mm-hmm. You there? Yeah. I'm I know here. some people advocate for like, yeah, um, cut it out immediately, um, stop all of it. But I, because of, most of my clients have also got, you know, working lives, family lives. Um, they can't just go off and, and completely use all their bandwidth to detox from you know, or, or remove sugar from their exactly. from their body. It's really a case of starting out with, well, firstly, where are the opportunities for us to start stabilizing your blood sugar? So that for me, it doesn't even necessarily start with the microbiome. It starts with where can we stabilize you? And where is the best opportunity to make sure that we reduce your craving for sugar? And yes, mm -hmm. that can be to do with what's going on in that internal ecosystem. But it also is going to be to do with things often like making sure that we're starting the day with a breakfast that suits us, that is probably has some kind of protein in it, 
because I see time and time again, Andrew, people, you know, here in the UK, particularly in the colder areas, oh, I know, I'm going to be healthy, so I'll start the day with porridge. But actually, they don't have the capacity to break the starch down properly, so they unwittingly send themselves off on a blood sugar roller coaster for the rest of the day, and again, like, what the fuck? This is supposed to be a healthy choice. Why is this, like, worse than when I eat a breakfast bar? Um, so, again, it, it, it really, and this is where the natural, naturopathic part comes in, the art form is really getting to understand what somebody's preferences are, what their lifestyle looks like, what their day looks like, because there might be an opportunity two days a week to start them with some protein, you know, a protein rich breakfast, but somebody else might actually the best place for them to start might be to ensure that they get a 12 hour fast overnight. Mm. That's why I annoyingly say it depends. Well, that's and okay. Then, and the cool thing is, it, it, sorry, this is this is going to lead me down to my number three item on your Facebook page, poo, because <laughs> I think people need to know that one third of their poop is dead bacteria from that microbiome, and the thing that blows my mind is like, say they have chosen to do their their sugar cleanse and all of a sudden we have a massive bacteria die-off, which means our body is actually also dealing with a toxic load from the amount of bacteria that has just suddenly died within our system. So, yeah, yeah people need to... Exactly. I mean... Come and see one of us professionals, please, before you do anything crazy. But, you know, I mean, duh. Right, because, again, to give, to give an example on the genomic side of things, if somebody decides suddenly to radically overhaul their diet, um, start juicing every day, you know, get out all the uh, – and when I say juicing, I mean I'm talking about what I call proper juicing, not – Proper vegetables. You know, oranges and pineapple and tropical fruits. I'm talking about, like – green proper green not particularly sweet juicing How and they what they do is our oh, beetroot is amazing i love beetroot um but if they haven't got the capacity through that second phase those detoxification pathways in the liver and they all of a sudden are ingesting all this stuff that the body's like i'm sorry i don't have the capacity to deal with that they can make themselves very very unwell even even if it's not, you know, it's not going to be probably lasting too long, but it's definitely not going to be it's particularly, um, yeah, exactly, for in the short term. Yeah, honestly, we, we've all we've all sat there going, dear God in heaven, and especially after like three days juicing, juicing diet with beetroot, you have to re remind yourself that you have not been shot. <laughs> yeah, every time, every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, Every time. let me go through my list. <laughs> Indoor pattern. But okay, yes, another thing I pulled out of the Facebook page, the body burdens, okay, such okay. as medications, pesticides, herbicides, which comes through with your liver detoxification process and everything like that. You know, how can people be more aware of these? I love the way it's called body well, burdens. 
Yeah, that's well, that's actually I think it's a functional medicine term and I've got mixed feelings about functional medicine um, for, for various reasons. But the point is that it is that burden. It is that every time we're exposed, our body has to decide what it has the capacity to do with that chemical. And in many, many cases, it doesn't have the bandwidth because people don't know what their body does and doesn't need. They don't know where their glitches are. So they don't know that they need to support their body to detoxify and render these chemicals, you know, as benign as possible and certainly remove them from the body as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so those, those chemical byproducts and often the metabolites from the, you know, the influence of, of those being partially broken down, they tend to circulate through the body and cause even more havoc. And that havoc shows up from an energy perspective by draining our energy, from a hormonal perspective, which may be more um, obvious in women um, than, than men. Um, but it really gathers, it's, I describe it as, and it's not like this because we we probably now are well we know we're inheriting a body burden from our from our parents. Um, we know from testing breast milk that there are you know um, uh, dioxin and and we it, you know in breast milk we know mm -hmm. that there is plastic in blood. So you know as babies are born they are now inheriting a body burden. So they're born with a couple of suitcases that have start started to already fill up with some of that. And then through the course of the life of our lifetime, through uh, being in cars, uh, being next to roads, through having furniture, as we've discussed, those chemicals, you know, drying out, yeah. off gassing, through ingesting pesticides, insecticides, herbicides on our food, petrochemicals on our skin, in our mouths, you know, um, and so on. That Maybe gathers, don't do that on you know, TV. <laughs> we, we collect we collect that and it weighs us down in those metaphorical suitcases mm -hmm. and then what happens is in the latter stage of our lives we start to be the tendency is that we start to be diagnosed with you know conditions syndromes and so on and the vast majority of those have their root causes in things like our genomics, so our genetic blueprint and the way that it's been influenced by everything that we've come into contact with, both internally and externally over the course of our lifetime. And unbeknown to us has been tipping the balance, tipping the balance, tipping the balance. And as our cells turn over every, you know, uh, cycle of seven years, that biological bandwidth is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing until it reaches a kind of critical point where people cannot ignore the messages from their body anymore. Often they've ignored the more subtle messages for years. And then they find themselves undergoing a plethora of tests. And unfortunately, then that's often a situation where they are diagnosed with a medical condition that, that you know, then goes down a pharmaceutical, uh, perhaps a um, surgical route. And again, I'm not saying that those things can't be helpful, 
But we need to be more open and transparent about the role that we play in that process because we have a lot more power than I think we allow ourselves to believe. Well, I think also, but it's like through lack of knowledge, my people perish. You know, that's that old saying. And and I love the way you said that we have a biological burden from our parents because in my family, I was conceived and born before my father went to Vietnam. And I am now 50. I am very strong. I have no negative health concerns. I haven't been sick and I've just had my first cold last week in about five to ten years. I don't get sick. I have stamina out the wazoo. It's fantastic. My two brothers who were conceived after Vietnam, my middle brother, he was born one testicle didn't come down from his body. He has had thyroid cancer. He had is um overweight he you know he has a lot of legitimate health concerns and my youngest brother has a lot of uh, mental health uh, concerns as well as physical health concerns which have manifested more and more as he's gotten older and it's the difference again you know we're, we're talking vietnam i'm assuming we're talking agent orange we're talking about all the pesticides defoliants and everything and this is just the difference I know of in my family. And we're talking a microscopically small sperm at one point, which has got the power of a nuclear bomb to affect someone's life 50 years down the track. And this is only that, like you said, this is the beginning of their suitcase. Yeah, and, you know, exactly and... Right. If they so, I love our. Oh, I've forgotten. I've forgotten the guy, but he's he was saying how our genetics is the gun. However, our lifestyle choices is the trigger, and so yeah. it's it's always up to us and the way we live our lives and the decisions we make, the health decisions, food, beverage, you know, our habits and everything. That's and those are the decisions that will actually activate the triggers within our system. So yes. I, how do we teach people more? Honestly, it, it's just like I don't think the adverts on television going, eat more fruit, is gonna is doing any good. Well, I mean, you know, at one stage I would have said that I thought Australia was doing better than the UK. Um, certainly when we moved here, the government recommendation for five a day, that's fruits and vegetables, Oz had two fruits, five vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, it isn't, it's, it's not quite that simple. The problem is that there is so much vested interest, as we've discussed, around making money from the medical system that unless or until we divest the vested interest that our politicians have in making money from, you know, because a lot of them certainly here, one of the things that came mm -hmm. out early on in the was that our, um, God, I can't even remember his name. I've tried to block it from my memory bank, but that he and um, another one of the government advisors for health both had, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of uh, stocks in the pharmaceutical companies that were um, tasked with, you know, trying to provide a viable 
um, injectable solution um, because, of course, they aren't vaccines, as we know. Um, but, you know, unless or until uh, we really can remove or reduce those influences, Andrew, um, we need a massive grassroots uprising to make it clear to our governments that we do not accept this um, state of affairs. And the reality is that the vast majority of people are so, I believe, indoctrinated to think that they are not the masters and mistresses of their own health, that getting them to a point where they see what's really going on, it, it's not going to be something that's going to happen in my lifetime, I don't believe. All and right, I, so I, wish, I wish I could tell you something different. And I love, yes, Facebook post, it's Friday, so let's talk about vaginas. That's, you literally wrote that on your wall. <laughs> I had to get that in there. All right, so we've got, it depends. We've got, a, a, we've had labels unpacking the root causes. We've had sugar. We've got Western society, women's social you know, societal construction, the starting point is ill health. We've got biological bandwidth. We've got our capacity of feel, think, behave, driven by our biology. Genomics, we have more bandwidth is more energy. Somewhere in there, got, we've got glutamate and GABA, and uh, but people's level of toxicity. So my notes are all over the shop. This has just been an absolute <laughs> conglomeration of stuff. Anyway, so question three, what are your clients' biggest struggles? <laughs> we're up here. Look, with the, we're here. No, surely not. Surely. I think we'll have to come back for another day. We are definitely going to have to come back for another day. I reckon I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it there, and I'm definitely going to have to have you come back, Louise. A kaleidoscope right. of health. <laughs> it is definitely a kaleidoscope. I tell you what, there is more colours. Yeah, but the thing I've found is with you, a slight twist, and it's all changed. <laughs> yeah, but that's a kaleidoscope, right? Yep, exactly. And every single person had one as a kid and they were the best thing ever. All right. I'm well, calling I, I, I'm, it. I'm gonna press the I'm gonna press the end button. I will. All right. Louise, you're an absolute legend. I'm definitely rich for talking to you today. Thank you so much. I'm definitely having you back. Thank Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Andreas. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> All right, I'm pressing the button. It's going to kick us violently out into the cold, and I will talk to you later. <laughs> Everyone who tuned in today, thanks for listening to today's Relax and Enjoy Health podcast with Louise Westra. I've been your host, Andrew French, for Optimal Health, Wellbeing, and Balance. If you want to find out more about Louise, you can find her at louisewestra.com or on Facebook at Louise Westra Health Mastery. And if you want the bullet points from today's podcast or even for some free resources, check us out at relaxenjoyhealth.com.au. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or even leave us a review and a rating. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Facebook at Relax Enjoy Health. But for now, stay sane and have a great day.